Man, good morning, Journey. Who is Jesus? That is the question we've been asking and trying to answer the past two weeks and that we're going to look at the next six weeks. Who is Jesus? If you haven't already, I want you to take your sermon notes out of the back of your bulletin so you can follow along and so you can catch up maybe if you weren't here last week or so that you can just kind of refresh your mind if you were here last week. We have entered into a series called, Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up? And we are trying to figure out for ourselves who Jesus is according to Scripture because we believe that when you really figure out who Jesus is and follow him the way he wants you to follow him, that it changes everything. Jesus last week in John 6.35 said that he was the bread of life. And we took a few minutes to look at bread really from Genesis to Revelation and see what Scripture said about Jesus being the bread of life. And we learned that Jesus sustains us. We learned that Jesus is consistent every day, every morning, every evening you can count on Jesus. And we learned that Jesus is trustworthy. And in the last two weeks, we've had 16 people in our congregation who have given their life to Jesus, who have decided to follow Jesus, who have become Christians because... When you learn who Jesus really is, it just changes everything in your life. From teenagers to grandparents, people in our congregation have followed Jesus when they clearly see him as he is. And today we're only going to look at one verse. But it's a verse packed with power and it's a verse packed with transformation if you truly understand the context of who Jesus says he is. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to John chapter 8. If you don't have your Bibles, our ushers have some that you can use today. They have some that you can have. If you didn't bring a Bible and you want one, just wave at them. They'll give you one. We've passed out more than 700 since our church began this way. So if you don't know where yours is, put your name in this one and keep it. And go home and start reading it right where we leave off in the book of John. Or you can fire up your phone or your tablet, however you follow along. But today we read one of the most powerful verses in the entire New Testament, only one verse, but with so much truth, asking the question, who is Jesus, and letting Jesus answer this question for us. Because seven times in the Gospel of John, Gospel means good news, John was one of Jesus' disciples, he wrote a biography of the life of Jesus, later church historians and church fathers would come along and they would name all the biographies of Jesus Gospels, meaning is really good news, the story of Jesus. But John in his biography of Jesus listed seven times where Jesus said, I am this. So if we want to know who Jesus is, we should ask Jesus. And he told us last week that he was the bread of life. And today he tells us, if you look at the top of your sermon notes, that he's the light of the world. And here's what he says in John eight twelve: When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I'm going to read it again because it's only one verse. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, what can you and I learn today about the real Jesus from John 8, 12 that can radically shape our life? I think we can learn three things significant things that I want to share with you as we look at Jesus as the light of the world. First, you need to understand, number one, this was a big statement from Jesus. Perhaps the biggest statement that Jesus had ever made in his life up until this point, and it's the context of the verse that tells us how big this statement was. Look at John 8, 12 again, the very first part, and get your pen ready. I need you to underline or circle or highlight a word. It says, when Jesus spoke 
again to the people. You need to circle that word again. Because the authors of scripture didn't put words in the Bible like that unless they wanted us to understand what they were talking about. So when John links John 8, 12 with the word again, he's saying, you need to understand what he said before this so you can understand how important this is. So he said, when Jesus spoke again, this word again tells us as we go back and look that this was Jesus' first public statement since the Feast of Tabernacles. And at the Feast of Tabernacles, boy, it had gone down with Jesus. And everyone was waiting to hear what he was going to say about it. Now, the Feast of the Tabernacles, just some quick facts so you can understand how John has set this up for us. The Feast of Tabernacles was held to commemorate by the Jewish people every year how God had provided for the Israelites during the 40 years in the desert. This was a feast that began five days after the Day of Atonement. We don't live on the Jewish calendar, but if you look at any American calendar you have, the day Yom Kippur will be on there. That is the Hebrew Day of Atonement. It was the evening of October 3rd to the evening of October 4th this year. And the Day of Atonement, which on your American calendar would be called Sukkot, occurred October 8th through 15th of this year. So just a few weeks ago, this festival that's still being celebrated in Israel and by Jews around the world happened five days and it happens every October. During these seven days, people would stay in booths or tents, some type of temporary housing, which is why it was called tabernacles. That was kind of the Jewish word for tent. During an entire week to remind themselves that their forefathers lived in tents for the desert for 40 years. So everyone would move out of their house and it was like a week-long camp out. It was really the greatest of the festivals for families to come together. And it was the largest feast. There was Feast of Passover and Feast of Pentecost and, and Feast of Tabernacles. This was the largest feast in terms of the sacrifices that were given and the offerings that were given because it was the only feast that came after the harvest and it came near the end of the year and everyone was kind of in their fourth quarter of realizing, man, God has been really good to us. God has really blessed us. We have more than we need. So everyone gave like these major, major gifts. And every day of this feast, there were certain things that they would do to celebrate who God had been to them for 40 years in the desert. And when you study Jewish history, kind of the pinnacle event of this feast was on the very last day. And on the very last day, kind of like the Olympic torch, what they would do on the very last day is they would go to the desert and they would carry in from the desert a jar of water symbolizing how God provided water from the rock for the Israelites while they were in the desert. If you've seen the Prince of Egypt, you should have a little bit of a picture in your head of how God did this or maybe the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. God provided water out of this huge rock. So the last day they would commemorate this by going into the desert and they would walk for miles like passing the Olympic torch. They would have stations priest who would bring this water in and they would bring it in through the streets of the city and everyone would be excited. It was a huge parade. And then they would take it into the temple where the priests were. You can imagine it was packed to capacity and they would take it and they would pour the water out on the altar to basically say to Jesus, thank you. This or to, to God, thank you for providing for our fathers in the wilderness. And on the very last day of the festival, scholars believe because of the timing in the content of what Jesus said, that as that jar of water was being brought into the city, and the city was in an uproar, and it was swelled with visitors from all over the world coming to celebrate, and they'd been living for tents in seven days, and camping out, and hanging out, and enjoying family, and celebrating who God was, 
that Jesus was in the temple area, and as they came and got ready to pour this water out to celebrate who God had been to their forefathers thousands of years earlier, that Jesus said this in John 37, in John 7, 37 and 38. It says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and he said in a loud voice, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Jesus literally interrupted the most important moment of the most important festival of the calendar year. You can kind of picture this in your head. Everyone's cheering. The crowd is swollen. They pour out this water. Everyone begins to cheer. And Jesus said, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. And they're like, what's, what's with this guy? And he's like, if you want real water, you should come to me. And I can imagine like if his disciples would have been born like in the 1990s, like I imagine them looking at each other and saying, no, he didn't. Like, like, did, he, like did he just... Did he just ruin the greatest moment, the most holy moment, the greatest celebration? Did Jesus really just tell these people, all that is in your past and your futures with me? Did Jesus really just do this? A few years ago, an artist by the name of Taylor Swift won the Entertainer of the Year Award. And when she was presented this award on stage at the Music Awards, there was another artist there who was highly intoxicated. His name was Kanye West. And he actually went up on the stage and he took her trophy from her and he stole the microphone from her and basically said, you should not have won this award. One of my friends should and kind of dropped the mic and walked off and everyone was like, that is unbelievable. This is what Jesus did at the Feast of Tabernacles. He hijacked the most important moment of the festival to say, y'all need to quit living in the past and you need to look to me. This was such a huge deal that they immediately issued a warrant for his arrest. John chapter seven is one of the first times that we hear that the Pharisee said, we gotta kill this guy. This is one of the first times that the temple guard says, where is he? We've gotta bring him in and put him in jail. This is the biggest controversy of Jesus' life and he has not said anything since this controversy publicly until John chapter eight. And you can imagine the press conference that this would be. His first public comments since ruining the Feast of Tabernacle for the Jewish people and he doesn't back down in his comments. He doesn't apologize. This may have been the most anticipated statement that he ever made by the people who were listening. That's why John says again, he needs us to know how important his statement is. And what does he do? He doesn't back down. Number two, he actually asks for a bigger commitment from the people. He doesn't apologize for ruining their party. He doesn't apologize for what they think disrespecting their past, he actually says, I meant what I said, and I'm going to need you to make more of a commitment to me if you want to have the life that God has for you. Look at John 8, 12. Keep your Bible open to this page because we're going to hang out here. It said, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, underline the words follows me. And then go back and look at John 6.35. I did this this week, and I, I learned something that I'd never seen before. Because seven times in the book of John, Jesus says, I am this. But he always couples those I am statements with, I am this, you do this. So in John 8.12, he said, I am the light of the world, you follow me. So I thought, I wonder how it worked the first time he said it. So in John 6.35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me 
Underline those words, comes to me. Won't ever go hungry. And whoever believes in me, underline those words, believes in me. Will never be thirsty. So Jesus, for the spiritual journey that these folks are on with him, he ups the commitment. Let me ask you a question. I don't know if you saw it, but when we phrase the question the right way, you can. Is there a major difference between believing in Jesus and following Jesus? Is there a difference between believing Jesus and following Jesus? Of course there is. And Jesus is now saying, I need a, I need a little more of you. As a, as a matter of fact, James, the brother of Jesus, said, you believe there is a God? Good. Demons believe that. Like belief, belief is one thing. And Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. If you believe in me, you'll never go hungry. That's great. But Jesus said, if, if you're really going to have all of me, you need to turn your belief into action. You need to start following me. And, and here's what's crazy. So I saw this today and I thought, that's incredible. And my mind immediately went to, I wonder if he does that seven times. Because I know there's seven I am statements. I wonder if he ups the commitment level or what he'll give us if we follow him every time. And he actually does. When we look at the seven I am statements of Jesus and how they shape us, he says, I'm the bread of life, come to me, believe in me. Then he says, I'm the light of the world, follow me. Then he says, I'm the gate, connect, why, why should we follow Jesus? So we can connect to God through Jesus. Then he says, I'm the good shepherd. And he said, I can teach you how to listen to my inner voice. So you not only come to me, follow me, and are close to God, but it will be like God living in you, and you'll be able to hear God in your inner voice. And then he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. You can live forever through me. Then he comes back and he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You can actually know God, not just be close to God, but know God through me. And then he said, I am the vine, and he said, you can remain close to me. Boy, what is, what is the desire of every Christian? It's to be close to God. Jesus said, I can help you do that. I can help you be close to God. What is the quest of every Christian? To maybe know a little more about God so, so we can figure him out. Jesus says, I can do that for you. What is the quest of every Christian? It would be to have life in heaven after we leave this life on earth. Jesus says, I, I can do that for you. But you have to understand there's a progression that you have to take to know me. You have to come to me. You have to believe in me. But at some point, you got to start following me. You know, I look at this scale of who Jesus is and what happens in our life, and, and I wondered this week, I thought, Lord, where am I on that scale? Where are you on that scale? If you have to look at these seven statements and what your next step is spiritually, what, where would you put a little X by that I need to believe in Jesus? Maybe you have come to Jesus, maybe you believe in Jesus, but your actions, your words, your attitudes... Your schedule, you're not following Jesus. Yeah, you believe in Jesus, but you're not following Jesus. Maybe you're following Jesus, but you don't feel connected to God. Maybe that's your next step. Or, or maybe you've kind of connected to God, but you, like you can't hear him anymore. You feel kind of distant from God. Or, or maybe you've got the inner voice, but you're worried about your life after death or someone's life after death who's close to you or maybe you just want to know God more like the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3.10 I want to know Christ or maybe you want to be closer to God see if you can figure out where you are you can figure out where you need to go but the answer is always the same Jesus is the answer to get there and here's what we said at the beginning of this series you can only follow Jesus to the degree that you know him and you can only know God to the degree that you follow Jesus so it's on you Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. You can believe in me. I'm the light of the world. You can follow me. 
You can only follow Jesus to the degree that you know him. So we're trying to understand who he is better. And you can only know God to the degree that you follow Jesus. So you want to be closer to God, you've got to get closer to Jesus. You want to understand God more, you've got to pursue Jesus more. And I love this, the fact that Jesus loves us as he found us, but he doesn't intend to leave us that way. So Jesus says, everyone can come to me, everyone can believe in me. Just as you are, regardless of your background, regardless of your past, regardless of what consequences you're living through right now that may cause you to live in shame around others. You don't have to live in any shame around Jesus. Jesus said, everyone can come to me, but I do not want to leave you the way that I found you. I want you to follow me. By following me, I want to connect you to God. I want to get you focused on eternity. I want to help you learn how to let God kind of drive your inner decisions. And I want to make sure you stay close to God. Jesus loves you just as he found you, but he doesn't intend to leave you that way. He intends to pull you so close to God that it changes everything. Why? Number three, because there's a big difference between light and darkness. See, Jesus loves you as he found you. He found you in darkness, but he doesn't want to leave you in darkness because there's a big difference between light and darkness. Look at John 8, 12 again, because when we look at this one verse through its proper context and in all that it says, it's so powerful. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but they'll have the light of life. I look at this phrase, will never walk in darkness. And I wondered this week, what are the dark parts of your life that you don't want anyone to know about? What are the dark areas of you that you don't want anyone to know about? What are the dark parts of your personality and your emotions and your past that you wish could be gone? Because Jesus said, whoever gets really close to me doesn't walk in darkness. Those things go away. So what are the dark things in your life? Maybe your marriage is a dark place right now. And if all your friends and family and kids, if even your spouse understood where you thought your marriage was right now, everything would be different. This is a really dark place for you right now. Your marriage is a dark spot in your life. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe you're the only person in your entire family that knows like you've got about three days of money left. And you don't even know if you've got three months of job left. Maybe you go to bed every night worried about finances and it's got this dark hold on you. Maybe it's your temper. Maybe there's this dark side of you that when you get really angry, like you just pray that you never have someone who actually goes to your church or works with you cut you off on the road because what you normally do in that situation would be so embarrassing that you'd have to like make up a story. I knew it was you and I was trying to scare you. And no, you just got a bad temper. You got a dark temper, man. Maybe you've got an anger problem. You've got dents and holes in the walls of your home. It's a dark place that you don't want anyone to know about, but you know it's deep inside you. Maybe you've got a dark spot in your life over pornography. And there's an account on your computer no one knows about or access to the internet somewhere that only you're aware of or some deep secrets and habits that you're really ashamed of. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe you were the only one who knows how much you truly struggle with alcohol and it scares you because it's a dark place in your life. 
Maybe it's prescription medication. You know the number one drug addiction for middle class Americans these days is prescription medication. Maybe you had an injury or you had some anxiety. You couldn't go to bed at night. You struggled. Now you can't live without a pill. You, your family doesn't even know about it. But it's, it's this dark spot in your life. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe you just can't quit talking about other people and it's this dark side of you that kind of comes out in conversation and just tears everyone down. Maybe you're having an affair or you're about to have an affair. Nobody knows about it but you deep down this, this dark place in your life. Maybe it's your pride. Maybe nobody else knows it but deep down you've got this huge pride issue and it drives every decision that you make and all your actions. Maybe it's a big ego. Or in Jesus' day, in John chapter 8, the dark place in the life of the people he was getting ready to argue with was his spirit of self-righteousness. He said, the dark spot in you is that you really think you're spiritually better than everyone. And if you don't get rid of that, God can't use you. Or maybe you have a judgmental spirit. And you look at people who aren't like us. You look at people who aren't like you. You look at people who weren't raised like us, who weren't as fortunate as us to grow up, maybe in a loving Christian home. You judge every, you, and it's just a dark thing that's just kind of between you and God. When we look at the darkness in our life, Jesus says, I, I want to remove that. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, and you don't have to walk in that darkness. You don't have to, you don't have, to have that side of you. You don't have to have that piece of your personality. You don't have to do that because I can help you. The truth of the light of the world, what do I call on your sermon notes, the light of the world truth, there's four of them. One is Jesus wants to help you get rid of the dark things in your life. That's what he's saying in John 8, 12. When he says, I'm the light of the world, this is not some supernatural, detached spiritual statement that doesn't mean anything. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, so you don't have to keep living in that darkness. Whatever it is for you, you don't have to stay there. You have to be embarrassed of it. You don't have to hide from it. I can help remove it. Jesus wants to help you get rid of the dark things in your life. And what's funny is how this process starts with so many of us. Because number two, when you're around somebody who's growing spiritually, you can actually listen for the light. And you say, wait a minute, Christian, don't you, don't you mean look for the light? No, I mean listen for the light. You can actually listen as a Christian and you can tell when the light is penetrating the darkness. You know, my past is in youth ministry. And I love, I love pastoring teens because they're just so honest. But they're, for so many of them, they're so ornery. And one of the things that I used to love to do as a youth pastor is every Friday afternoon, I'd go play football with 25 or 30 teens from our youth group. They're actually two or three from our youth group. And then just a bunch of kids from their school who weren't Christians. And when they found out I was a pastor, and they, I mean, they like did things teenagers would do. And I was kind of their all-time quarterback. And I remembered the vulgar language that they would use. And then eventually you could listen to the light come on because they cuss and they'd say, sorry, pastor, sorry, pastor. We know, we know we shouldn't cuss around you. They were saying, this dark area of my life, I know it's wrong. And I haven't overcome it yet, but you can hit, the light has come on. You know what's funny now that I'm pastoring adults, I kind of have the same conversations about the same words in the same situations. And like, you know, I know, you know, I know I shouldn't cuss, but it's just, it's kind of the world that I live in. You can hear the light saying, you shouldn't do that. You're a Christian. You can hear it when people tell you about the shows they watch on TV or the movies 
that they've seen that are really good. When someone tells you, hey, have you seen the show on TV? And you're like, no. And they're like, oh, it's so good. Now, there, there's a couple things in it that are bad. You can hear the light. What they're saying is Jesus has exposed that this is wrong. Good show. They're saying, I'm not quite ready to, to forsake that. But I can tell that's wrong. I hear people all the time say, hey, have you seen that movie? No, I haven't. Man, you'd really, well, you, you probably wouldn't like it. It was really good, but you can hear the light in their conversation. I can hear this with my friends who struggle with alcohol. They've, they walk a fine border between social drinking and kind of self-medicating. And they'll say things like, you know, I, I know I shouldn't drink too much, right? You know, I, I had too much. What they're saying is the light has come on in this area. I'm not, I'm not totally done with that yet, but the light has come on in this area. I hear this when people talk about giving all the time. You know, we're a church that's very generous. We love to take offerings because we love to give. And I, I've had a lot of generous-hearted people saying, man, you know, I know I should give more, but... And they give me a real good explanation of why they are where they are, but they're saying the light has penetrated some areas in my life, former financial mismanagement, greed, materialism, whatever. Jesus is telling me to give more. This light has come on in this area. You hear it with people who gossip. How many times has someone started a conversation with, well, I shouldn't tell you this, but... They're saying, the light has shown me this is wrong, but... I tell people all the time, Christians don't gossip, they just share prayer requests. I heard that line once. I thought, that is like really, really good. I shouldn't tell you this about him, but we should, you know, if you end it with bless your heart, it's a prayer request, not a, not a, not gossiping. You know, it's like, did you hear what they did? Bless their heart. You know, it's like, okay, that's a spiritual gossip. But you can hear people say, you know, I, I shouldn't do this, but you can hear the light. Come on. I have people all the time who say, you know, I know I'm really negative. It's okay. The light is coming on. I, I hear this with people who say, man, you know, I've got, I, I heard this joke, I want to tell you, but it's, but, it's, but it's kind of bad. What they're saying is the light. You can listen for when the light comes on. And what you need to do in those situations, instead of slapping people's hands, you need to sit back and say, the light's on, Jesus will take care of it. Just know the light's on, Jesus will take care of it. Because number three, when Jesus' light hits our life, it changes everything. I mean, when the light of Jesus really hits our life, it changes everything. Look at John chapter 1. Flip back just a few chapters in your Bible to John chapter 1. Because John carries this theme of light and Jesus being light through his, in, through his entire book. He actually begins his book with it in John chapter 1. But in John chapter 1 verses 9 through 13, here's what John says about Jesus being light and about us interacting with Jesus' light. He said, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own didn't receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, or even of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. You need to underline those words, born of God. Because scripture says when Jesus' light hits our life, it changes everything. The word we use is reborn, the kind of the churchy word is born again. When Jesus' light hits our life, it changes everything. Number four, when the apostle Paul saw Jesus as the light, he's a religious guy, but when he saw Jesus as the light, it changed the entire course of his life. 
Three times in the book of Acts, we're told the story of how Paul came to know Jesus. In Acts chapter 9, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, tells us, this is how I heard it. In Acts chapter 22 and Acts chapter 26, he quotes Paul, who he was with, telling his story. And listen how Paul begins his story every time. In Acts 9, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light flashed from heaven around him. In Acts 22, 6, Paul said, about noon I came near Damascus and suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. And then in Acts 26, 13, he said, about noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven that was brighter than the sun. Paul said, man, when I saw Jesus as the light, everything changed. So when did the light come on for you? That would be my question for you this morning. When did the light come on for you? And how's the light doing in your life right now, finding those dark spots that Jesus wants to pull you out of? In December, we're starting a sermon series simply called Story. We're going to tell the Christmas story. But we're going to tell it through the lens of the greatest stories in the life of Jesus that really tell who he was and what he was all about. But we're doing that because we're doing a campaign through our small groups starting in January next year called the Story Campaign. And it's our goal to teach every person in our church to learn how to tell their story through the lens of the gospel. You say, what does that mean? We want to teach every person in our church how to tell their story through the lens of what Jesus did in their life. And we're actually using the Apostle Paul's story, he tells it three times the exact same way, as a grid. There's seven things that the Apostle Paul mentions in order every time. But the first one is always, the light came on. We're going to ask everyone in our church to actually write down on a piece of paper and share with your small group at some point in 2015 when the light came on for you. And what darkness it revealed to let it come on. What happened when the light came on from you? Did you have to put away skepticism? Say, I can't live there anymore. i got to trust Jesus. Did you have to put away doubt? How could you possibly know all this is true, but instead trust in Jesus? Did you have to put away some anger or some bad experiences? Did you have to set aside some some poor Christian examples that you had seen before? Did you have to put away the pleasure of sin that you really liked and say, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I can't do this anymore? Did you have to put away a controlling nature of letting Jesus be in control of your life instead of you? See, when, when the light comes on, the darkness is revealed, and the darkness actually, if you just turn the lights off and turn them on, the darkness goes away. When the light comes on, the darkness goes away. And this is what Jesus is saying. If you will follow me, the darkness in your life will go away. We're going to start our story series on December 7th with a day we're calling Friend Day. Clayton King, who I believe is one of the greatest evangelists in the world, is going to come share his story on December 7th. And Clayton, more than anyone I know, has the ability to help people who are far from God to help the light come on for them. So we're asking everyone to begin planning now who on December 7th you can invite who's far from God, so the light can come on and the darkness in their life can go away. But that's December 7th. Today is October 26th. And there's another day that's important according to John 1.13. Let me ask you this question. When were you born of God? That's the way John phrases it. When were you born of God? Because it's my personal belief that there are a lot of people in the church who believe in Jesus, 
who come to Jesus every now and then when they need something to sustain them, something they can count on, but they've never truly been born of God. They've never decided to have a spiritual rebirth and to follow Jesus. I believe one day every one of us is going to stand before God and he's going to say, when, when were you born of God? And I talk to Christians all the time. Or I, I talk to people who call themselves Christians all the time. And I ask them, when did you become a Christian? And I hear lots of people say, I've, always, I've, always, I've just always kind of been a Christian. In the context of John 1.13, that would be like asking someone, hey, when, when's your birthday? When were you born? And I'm saying, oh, I just kinda, I've just always kind of been around. I don't, you know, I, don't, I don't think I was born. No, you, you were. Your mother will attest to that, I promise you. When were you born of God? See, I can't close this service today without making sure that somewhere there's a spiritual birth certificate that's got a date stamped on it. And if you're in here today and you're saying, I believe in Jesus, I have no idea when I was born of God. You need to have today stamped on your birth certificate. Now, in two weeks, I'll be in Kenya with 15 people from our church. And we will meet some orphans over there that we minister to who don't know when their birthday is. Doesn't mean that they weren't born. They just don't know when their birthday is. So you know what they do? They give those kids a birthday so it's a day they can celebrate. They say, hey, we're, we're, this is the day we're going to celebrate you being alive. You may be in here today and you can't remember when you were born of God. Maybe it doesn't necessarily mean you're not a Christian. But it means you need a day where you say, on this day, I remember it forever. On this day, I decided to be born of God and follow Jesus. If you don't have that day, make it today. And if you do have that day, God's poking around your life with his flashlight. And he, he doesn't want to expose the darkness. He wants to eliminate the darkness. He wants it to go away. But you've got to get close to Jesus for that to happen. Would you pray with me?